Thank you. Well, if you have your Bibles, take and turn with me this morning to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use the one in the pew back in front of you, the black pew Bible there. Uh, if you're looking for 1 Kings 16, it'll be on page 298, 299 is where we'll be this morning. And you're welcome to use that for the message and then take that with you so that when you leave, you have your own copy of Scripture. Um, I, I'll go ahead and confess. I don't know if you, if you guys notice I do this every week, but when I walk up, I look at my pants legs now. Some of you will remember that about a year and a half, two years ago, I hate socks that fall down. So like when I, right before the message, I always pull my socks up, like I'm up over the calf. And a couple of years ago, I did that. I tucked my pants leg in and the whole message I preached, it was kind of curled in there. So now I'm like really nervous about that. So while y'all are always turning to your Bible, I was always looking at my pants sticking in my socks. So um, I'm, I'm good today. All right. So I'm, I'm squared away. But uh, we're in First Corinthians, First Corinthians, First Kings, uh, chapter sixteen, seventeen. Last week, as I preached through Elijah, I was flipping around First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and I came across Elijah, and I started, I started looking kind of at him and uh, some of the stuff that was happening in his ministry, and really felt led to uh, come back and preach a little bit on Elijah's life and his ministry. So that's what we're going to do here through the month of August. Uh, is take and do a character study uh, on Elijah. So I'm really looking forward this. I love doing character studies, uh, looking at men and women of the Bible and seeing that, man, they are people just like us. And so many of the things that we uh, are dealing with and we're going through, man, they were, they were right there with us. And as we look at their pattern, their example, we see how God can move and work and speak to us, but also how God can use us in response to that. So I'm excited about getting into that this month uh, and looking at some truths and some insights and some lessons about Elijah that I think are uh, helpful and applicable to us as individuals, to our church corporately, uh, and even to our nation and to the world in a more universal scale. Uh, before we get to that, just a, a quick uh, question for you to kind of make sure that you can identify with Elijah. I wonder if you, being honest, how many of you would say that you have ever found yourself in a mess? Anybody ever been there, done that, got the t-shirt, the scars, the, the, the water? Yeah, we've all been there. And here's the thing about messes. Let's be honest. Sometimes it's a mess that we created, right? You're like, yeah, I'm here, I'm in this, and I got nobody to blame but myself in this. But at other times, we find ourselves in messes and very difficult trying circumstances that were beyond our control, it really wasn't us. It wasn't our decision, our doing, but nonetheless, we're still suffering and we're experiencing that. You see, that's where Elijah find, finds himself. To, to really understand the importance and the impact of his ministry, we really have to understand the national, the political, and the religious environment in which he ministered. And I kind of moved us into and set this up a little bit last week. So let me kind of just catch us up briefly in a little historical context. David, the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, ruled the united country, a full nation of Israel. His son Solomon followed after him, and he too ruled over a united kingdom. But Saul began to follow false gods, and as a result of that, God divided the kingdom. Ten tribes uh, were in the northern kingdom. They kept the name Israel, and two tribes were in the southern kingdom. They took the name Judah, all right? So you kind of have that little bit of a historical context. And king after king followed Solomon to the throne, both in Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And I told you last week, these kings were called either good kings 
or bad kings? Good kings did what? They followed God and the example of David. That's how they were measured. If they were a good king, you know that they followed David's example of following God. If they were listed as a bad or an evil king, it says they didn't follow David's example, which was not following after God. And so king after king comes to the throne. And here's very often how they came to the throne. Let's say I was king over Israel or Judah. So I'm sitting there and I'm ruling. And let's say, Matt, welcome back, by the way. Good to see you. Welcome back. And Matt's been completing some training, just got back, so graduated out. So Matt here says, you know what? I don't like Curtis being king. I want to be king. So you know how he moves his way to the throne? He kills me. That's what kings did. They would assassinate the guy in the throne, and he takes over as ruler. Well, you know what my kids are going to do? They're going to be mad that Matt took me out. So they're going to plot their revenge to assassinate him so they too can take over the throne. So this goes back and forth, you know, kids, you know, exacting revenge for their dad. Well, then it kind of moves out. One king finally comes to the throne and says, you know what? You know, if I leave this previous king's family intact, they are going to find a way to assassinate me so they can take over. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill his whole family. His wife, children, grandchildren, servants, anybody that was loyal to him, I'm going to wipe them out. That way, nobody will want the throne. Well, that wasn't true because everybody wants to be king, right? So there's always going to be somebody plotting revenge. So they go, now they're massacring entire families. And it's not just the men and the children who are doing this. The wives and the queens or the queens-to-be get involved. Now, I know that you all watch some of what we call reality television, and you've seen, you know, these moms and their pageant daughters, and, you know, you watch all this kind of stuff. You know, we talk about these soccer moms and these helicopter moms. They couldn't hold a candle to these envious queens of ancient times who, I mean, just imagine sitting around dinner. Okay, son, today we're going to talk about how we go in tomorrow, we overthrow the king, and we, we massacre his entire family. Let's talk about the plan for tomorrow. I mean, it's just wide open as these moms are plotting how to get their children to the throne so that they can rule with them. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible time in the nation of Israel. I mean, it's like an HBO special, you know, that, that, that's taking, and this is decades that this is going on. But finally, one king comes to the throne, and he is the granddaddy of them all. And so not only does he, you know, kill people and, and, you know, find his way to the throne, but to better solidify his throne, he marries the daughter of a neighboring king to have a little extra muscle, you know, to defend his own throne. Well, what happens is she basically wears the pants and rules the kingdom through her cowardly husband. But in addition to that, she brings with her a new idol, a new false god, which spirals the nation of Israel into a depth of depravity and idolatry never before seen or heard of. Forget out who this guy and his wife are yet? Well, let's just say this. People don't name their kids after them, all right? Let's, let's just say that. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Judah is the 
southern kingdom. As you read through Kings and Chronicles and you're trying to follow the the timelines of stuff, know that they compare a king in the northern kingdom to when a king in the southern kingdom was ruling so you have a frame of reference, all right? I remember as a kid reading through and I was always so confused. I'm like, wait a minute, this guy was this many years and this guy was this many years. They can't both have ruled that length of time, but they were comparing for the different countries. So this king in Israel is being dated according to Asa, the king in Judah. It says, here's the guy, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. So what was Ahab's dad like? Well, listen to this description back in verse 25. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. Now, that's a pretty significant statement compared to all that's happened leading up to him being the king. But it doesn't end with him. Remember, Ahab is his son. Look at verse 30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. I mean, it just keeps getting worse. Verse 31, and as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who we talked about last week introducing idolatry, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. You know little Ahabs and Jezebels running around anywhere? Yeah, we, we don't name our kids after them, do we? And so he married this woman, and, and her dad's name was Eth Baal. Look, Eth Baal, the last four letters there, and went and served Baal. Her dad was named after the false god Baal, and it and says that he worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made an Asherah. Asherah was Baal's mother in idol mythology, and they would make little totems, little uh, pillars with, with images graved, carved on them, which surrounded the temples of Baal. And look at this right here. There are a whole lot of things that I might like for you to put on my tombstone one day. And I can give you a list of, you know, four or five that'll get you started. But listen, I hope and pray to God, this is not the epithet of my life. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Dude, how would you like to have that descriptor be the summation of your life. It is a difficult, difficult time in the nation of Israel. And into that environment, we find Elijah. And here's the thing about Baal and Baal worship. Baal was considered to be the God of rain and fertility. Rain important for crops, fertility important for reproduction and and procreation. And Baal was thought to control in the world seasons, the land, and crops. Say that with me. What Baal controlled, seasons, the land, and crops. Okay, that was his area of expertise and his area of authority. And that's going to be important here in a few minutes. But not only was Baal over these things and, and, and a God, seen as a God of fertility, but the sacrifices beginning to move into human sacrifices and the depths of depravity that were introduced into Israel were unheard of even in their idolatrous past of following false gods. In addition to the heathen and barbaric sacrifices that took place, now enters into, because of the fertility part 
of Baal's authority and realm. Temple prostitution, both male and female prostitution, seeking Baal's favor to be able to reproduce and bear children, which were very important in ancient times. So, I mean, you can see this place was an absolute mess. And we just affirmed a few minutes ago, we've all been in messes before, right? Sometimes they're of our own doing, our own choices that we've made. And sometimes when we're in those situations, we don't feel like we deserve a way out, right? You're like, look, I made these choices. I made these decisions. Here's where I'm at. Here's what I've done. I made my bed. So what? I got to lie in it. And even the thought of being set free from that, being relieved of of that suffering, of that hardship, of the pain that we're going through. We don't feel like we deserve that. Maybe we should reap the consequences of what we have sown. But, you know, there are times when we suffer because of the decisions of others. And we may have not even known that we're suffering because of others. You may come from a past that there's been abuse in your life, physical Sexual abuse, psychological, emotional abuse. And you didn't even realize the depths of the hurting and the pain that was there. You're like, hey, this is life and this is what's going on. But as you grow and you realize God's plans and his purposes and and his desire for your life, you realize you really are hurting and you really are struggling and you have suffered a great deal because of the things that happened to you and how you were abused. Maybe grief is a part of your story and your history and your circumstances. Maybe you bear the scars and the hurt of alcohol, drug abuse for yourself, for a spouse, for a child, for a parent. And you see these cycles and you see these patterns and you see this destruction all around you. And it's a mess and it hurts And there are no easy solutions and there's no way out. Maybe the sting of a divorce reverberates in your ears. Your divorce, the parents' divorce, those of children. Maybe you're in a difficult job situation. Maybe you're suffering economic hardships. I don't know what you may be going through. I don't know the situation or the circumstances of your mess. But church, listen to me. Here's what I want you to understand today. The God of the universe wants to meet you and speak into your life in the midst of your mess. Whether you created it or whether someone else created it and you're suffering because of it, God wants to meet you. And speak into your situation and reveal himself so that you can find meaning and purpose in him. That's God's desire. And here's the thing we're going to see in Elijah's story. Man, God may show up huge. He may move mountains. He may change situations and circumstances and things will be radically different. You will have a story that people will look at and go, wow, that is incredible. God sometimes does that. God does that in Elijah's story. 
What we're going to see is he, he encounters the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible, probably, I just I'll confess, because it's one of the few places in the Bible we got a little potty humor that's thrown in. So stay tuned as we come to that. But Elijah shows up and he encounters these prophets of Baal on the top of Mount Carmel. And it is earth shattering. It's huge. Everybody sees it. Everybody knows that God is there and God may move and God may speak into your situation in a huge, radical and powerful way. I mean, expect and know that God is able to do that in your situation. But by the same token, God may also quite possibly as he does in Elijah's work, simply meet you personally, privately, quietly, in a very individualistic and intimate way and just speak to your heart and do a transforming work within you that will renew you and give you hope and give you strength and help you understand that he is with you in spite of of the situation and the circumstances and the struggles you may be going through. Because you see, Elijah, God does that in Elijah's life as well. A very quiet, very personal encounter where the greatest work in that scenario is the work that takes place in Elijah's heart and his life and his spirit as his faith and his strength are renewed in the God who called him to serve. I don't know how God may speak and move in your situation, your circumstances. But my prayer is that you will see and you will know when he does and that you will stand for him, that you will grow in him and that you will share with others about the work that God has done. And here's the thing as I think about that and as I think about your situation God may call you to be an Elijah. You may be the one who writes a new chapter for your family. You may create a new legacy or a new heritage. God may be raising you up and he may have placed you right where you are to create a new culture, a new environment in your workplace, students, in your school. You may be God's mouthpiece for revival and spiritual awakening. And when I say that, the first thing that we do is go, well, not me. God can do that, but he surely couldn't do it through me. He needs someone who's more spiritual, more gifted, more you fill in the blank. God couldn't do that through me. He needs somebody powerful, somebody bold, somebody courageous, somebody educated, somebody trained, somebody whatever it is. But remember the situation in Israel and all that's taking place under, under Ahab and Jezebel's leadership. Remember uh, the, the idolatry that's taking place. Enter into that scene a man named Elijah. You're like, oh, well, what do we know about Elijah? Look at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. First, we meet Elijah, the man, the myth, the legend. You ready? Here it is. This is what we know about Elijah. Verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead. That's it. 
That's his history. That's his background. That's his pedigree. That's what we know about Elijah. How many of you have ever heard of Tishba? You know where Tishba is? What about Gilead? Heard of Gilead? Most of you know Gilead. We sang some songs about that growing up in church. We're a little more familiar with Gilead. Here's the thing about Gilead. Gilead was in a rural area. It wasn't a trade center. It wasn't an educational center. It wasn't a philosophical center. I mean, it was not a center of anything. It was just a city in the wilderness. It was off the beaten path. We have a frame of reference for Gilead. We know nothing about Tishba. Tishba's a place, when I was in college, uh, we had a little, uh, little rabbit trail in class one day, one of our pastors talking about, you know, just serving and being faithful wherever God calls you. And I found two churches that I'd never heard of in Kentucky, rural parts of Kentucky, no lie, there is a monkey's eyebrow Baptist church. He said, boys, God may call you to serve at Monkey's Eyebrow Baptist Church. And we're like, he goes, oh, no, I'm serious. It really exists. We're like, really? Monkey's Eyebrow Baptist Church. That, that's amazing. Greasy Creek Baptist Church. I actually preached at Greasy Creek one time on a youth revival. Greasy Creek Baptist Church. So we're just talking about these places that nobody would ever heard of. You know, but God is doing a work in those places. And God sends people to do a work in those places. This is Elijah the Tishbite. We know nothing about his family, nothing about his training, nothing about his occupation, his siblings, nothing at all. But he shows up on the scene and he comes and he speaks a message to the king of Israel, to Ahab. Now, here's what we do know about Elijah. Elijah represented God. And when he came, even his name conveyed the very presence of God. His name, E-L, L of Elijah, E-L, That is abbreviated for the Hebrew word for God, Elohim. Elohim meant God in Hebrew. So El is God. Jah, J-A-H in Elijah's name is the abbreviated version for the Hebrew word of Jehovah, another name for God in, in Hebrew. The letter I in Hebrew stands for the pronoun of me, my, or mine. So when Elijah steps into the room and says, My name is Elijah. You know what he's saying? The Lord is my God, or my God is Jehovah. By saying his name, he is saying to Ahab, God is here. God has sent me to declare a message to you. He is God's spokesperson. God may be raising you up in spite of your obscure background and you not being heard of and not feeling like you're capable to do anything that that God may set before you. It's too big. And Lord, I don't have it. You ever done that? Lord, I can't. And you fill in the blank. I can't sing. I can't speak in front of people. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't this. Lord, I don't have it to be used by you. Look, it doesn't matter what you think it is because it's not about it. It's about who. It's about who you know and who your life is surrendered to and what he does in you and is able to do through you. Elijah was unheard of. But he shows up and he delivers a message from God. God may be calling you, raising you up into your mess, into your situation, your circumstances to do a great work through God's power. Not your skills, not your abilities, but God's power. So Elijah shows up and he delivers a message. 
Here's the message, the end of verse 1. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years. If you've got your Bible, underline or circle the word years. There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Elijah just pronounced a death sentence on crops, on animals, and on people in the nation of Israel. You see, this is the Middle East. It is hot and dry and arid. People knew about it not raining for weeks, for months at a time. But Elijah says for years, no dew, no rain is going to fall. But when no dew and no rain comes, guess what doesn't grow? Crops which means you have no food, which means people and animals die. Now, I said earlier, Baal, the god of rain and fertility, his area of expertise and authority was what? Wait till you pay attention. <laughs> Seasons, land, and crops. Season, land, and crops. This is the ancient form of God sending a prophet to a hockey fight. Elijah just stepped up and said, it's on. Because you guys look to Baal and oh, Baal's going to bless us and Baal's going to give us rain. He's going to give us crops and Baal's going to do all this stuff. And Elijah says, Baal is not a God. People are going to die. There's going to be drought and famine in this land. And people are going to say, where's Baal? There's no rain. There are no crops. There's nothing in the land. Where is Baal? And they're going to look to their king and say, King, you led us to serve Baal. He's not helping out. Is he mad at us? Did he move? Did another God overpower him? And so now we need to be worshiping that God. King, what happened? You see, Elijah is shaking things up by the authority and the power of God working in and through his life. God sends people. God sends circumstances to shake us up, to get our attention, and to bring our focus back to him. So what happens after this decree? You have to come back next week and find out. Because we're going to stop right there. That's what you call a cliffhanger. Uh, in in TV and film. But I'm going to tell you something. It's probably not what you would expect, what what God leads Elijah to do next. But what I want to spend a couple of minutes doing is I want to just talk through two very quick things that we see from Elijah that we need to be reminded of in the midst of our life and the circumstances that we're in, how God moves and works and how God uses people, ordinary, common people, like you and like me, to make a difference for Christ and for his kingdom. First of all, understand this. God still calls faithful, strong people to stand firm for him. God still calls faithful, strong people to stand firm for him. God needed someone special to come and deliver his message to Ahab. And so he raises a back 
backwoods country bumpkin up by the name of Elijah. Later, we're going to see Elijah. He, he, he had like a leather belt and wore animal skins. Sounds like kind of somebody we know from the New Testament, but he was pretty radical. He was pretty out there. He was very, very uh, strong, very intense in what he did. And God raised him up to come and deliver this message to the king. And we wouldn't have thought that that would be the case. Maybe God would send somebody educated. Maybe he would send somebody with great authority, with great wealth. But God used the backwoods Elijah from a town of nowhere to come and deliver his message. And you see, that reminds us that it's never about the man, the woman, the person who's delivering the message. It's never about us. It's about the God who delivers his message through us. You see, that's where the focus should be, not on what we can do, what we can't do. It's about God who is doing his work in us and through us to impact the world for Christ. And remember Elijah's name. My God is Jehovah. The Lord is my God. When Elijah showed up, people knew the presence of God was there. Not because of Elijah. He was nobody special. He was unknown until God began to use him. What would it be like? Understand that God wants to take and use your life in such a way that when you are in a situation, family situation, work situation, whatever situation environment you're in, that you are God's representative and people see and know and experience the power and the presence of God because of how real and powerful and evident he is in your life. That's the God we serve. That's how he wants to take and use our lives to demonstrate his power, his purposes, his plans in the lives of other people. So understand that God still calls faithful, strong people to stand firm for him. Secondly, recognize this. God's ways are not always our ways. God's ways are not always our ways. And we'll see this even more next week. But when you think about God's strategy for bringing about revival, awakening for drawing people back to himself in, in ancient Israel. You know, Lord, send a trained, educated person. Send someone who's got recognized authority. Send a special ops team, you know, to come in. You're going to need more than just a backwoods prophet dressed in animal skins and a leather belt. But you see, that's who God used in a great and a powerful way. And I know sitting here this morning, some of you don't feel qualified. You don't feel capable to be able to do something that God may be leading you to do. I know you struggle with that. God, if people knew what I was like, if they knew I did this or if they knew that, God, nobody would listen to me. Lord, nobody does listen to me. You don't feel qualified. You don't feel capable of doing what God may be desiring for you to do. Or you may feel like what you're doing really doesn't have much of an impact. Even though what you're doing may be the very most important thing God can have you doing at this time. 
I remember as we were, were raising kids, uh, and particularly when I say we were raising kids, Shelly carrying a huge portion of that, uh, being at home with them for hours and hours on end, and coming in and, and calling before I would come in to kind of check the weather at home. Men, you do that, right? You call ahead before, you, you know, as you're leaving. So how are you doing? And you're kind of bracing. You, you can tell by the tone of voice, the examples that she give, what kind of day it's been, right? So you kind of know what you're walking into when you get home. And, man, I remember just the weariness of that. And she's like, I just want adult conversation. Talk to me. And I'm like, I got a meeting I'm going to tonight. She's like, no, <laughs> grabbing by the lapels. I remember that stage. And I know a lot of women talk about that, you know, just the, the weariness. And, and at times how beaten down they feel to say, I just feel like my life is just nothing but wiping noses and other body areas and, you know, picking up Cheerios and mushy food and cleaning walls and messes. And it just, it's just over. I just, you know, is there any kingdom impact that's taking place? Yes, there is. That is the most important task, the most important place that God has placed you to be building his kingdom by building and investing in your family in that season and in that stage of life. But you see how Satan distorts that? Well, well you can't make an impact. You're just, you're just raising kids. Man, what greater impact is there? than what God has called you in this season and in this stage and parents, no matter the age of your children, I was reading a book recently that, that really has hit me and Shelly and I were having this conversation. Our kids are becoming teenagers now and the playbook has changed. You know, raising small kids is very different than raising teenagers. Now they want to talk or they don't want to talk and I want to talk. And now they talk back when they shouldn't talk back and they have their ideas of what they want. We, we planned, vac- we were going on vacation. I've always been the vacation planner. I love planning vacations. It's what I do. And now my kids have voices and votes and I went to eat places they wanted to eat because they outvoted me. You know, it, it changed. I'm like, we're, we're going through and not only changing in those dynamics, how we begin to teach and instruct and point them toward Christ has changed and, and honestly, we weren't ready for it. It just, it just happened like that, seemingly. We, we, we kind of got apathetic and, and didn't realize how quickly these things were changing. Things change. And you may not feel like what you're doing has that much of an impact. Here's the other thing. You may be in a, in a ministry setting and you may be doing something for God and you're like, well, it just doesn't feel like it's a whole lot. I mean, it's a small group of people. You know, one, two, three, four, five. I got 10 kids in the class I'm teaching or, or 10 adults in this. It just doesn't feel like it's a whole lot. It's just a small number. It doesn't matter the number. The most important thing is the God who's working in you and through you in the lives of those people. Do you realize the greatest people that we look to, that we follow, that, that we hear about in this world today were trained and mentored and invested in in small group settings? Think about the impact, the potential of the people that you are serving right now. God can use that and wants to use that in a way to change the world, to bring people to himself. You see, God's ways and God's methods don't always make sense in our minds, but understand that God is doing something greater than we could even fathom. 
And he's called us to be faithful in our role and our responsibility in our season to do what he has called us to do in the place where he has placed us to accomplish his plans and his purposes. And here's what I want you to remember about Elijah. Humble beginnings. Don't even know where he was from. Know nothing about him. Yet when you look on the pages of Scripture... I mean, really, the number of chapters and the number of instances that we have, any kind of ministry of, of Elijah are very small compared to some of the, the entire books that are written about some of the great men of our faith. Yet Elijah's shadow looms huge through the pages of Scripture. Jesus in Matthew 16 was talking to his disciples, and he said, Hey, who do people say that I am? You know one of the answers? Elijah. You're you're Elijah. And we're going to look at some of the parallels, but the parallel we can see this week is the humble beginning. Elijah had a humble beginning. Jesus had a humble beginning. He was bold. He was strong. He was straightforward. Elijah has returned. We remember his example from the Old Testament, and now he's here to speak a message to us from God. But not only did the disciples say, people say you're Elijah. When Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration before his disciples, he talked to two people from the history and the legacy of Israel. It was Moses and Elijah there on the Mount of Transfiguration. He went from the town of Tishba, nowhere, to the mountaintop with Jesus. And today, Jesus is inviting you to himself to know him in salvation. If you've never confessed your sins and believe that Jesus died to pay the price for your sins, that you can be forgiven and have new life in him, that's the beginning point of your faith journey and you're being used for God's purposes and his plans in the world today. If you've never surrendered your life to him, I invite you to do that today. But the other part of that is walking in communion with Christ as Jesus was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Elijah was there. We don't know the conversation. We don't know what happened. We know the disciples saw. They were encouraged. Their belief was strengthened because of the presence of Elijah there with Jesus. And your life, your witness, and your testimony as well can reflect and draw people to Christ as you stand for him and as you speak his truth and live out his truth in the situations and the circumstances where God has placed you. So today, as we begin our study in Elijah, I want to invite you to know Christ as Elijah knew him, had a relationship with him and served him faithfully. And I want to encourage you to pray that God would speak to you in your situation, your circumstance, whatever it is, but that God would also use you to speak of him for others. And here's the thing. It's not about you. It's about Christ working in you. Christ does that so that when he accomplishes his work, people don't look and say, look what you have done. People will look and say, look what God has done. So that God gets the glory, God gets the praise, and people are drawn to him as a result. So let's prayerfully surrender and commit ourselves to him today. Father, as we come